Here we go, Canada. Another hour of the excitement of me talking to the people who sold a bunch of hockey cards that were in a box in the back of a warehouse in Regina for more than 40 years. How much did they get for them? You probably already know, but we had the story for you first a couple of weeks ago. We'll break it down for you in 40 minutes time. Also, the head of, I think it's Alberta Strong, is now hating on Pierre Polyev. Is it time that Daniel Smith no longer wants to perhaps associate with this uh, dirt ball? And have you ever had a chance? Have you ever had a problem meeting somebody or on fa- on Facebook uh, meeting? If have you ever bought something off Marketplace or Kijiji or Craigslist? Is Craigslist still around? That and more coming up on the iHeart Talk Radio Network. It's News Talk tonight on the iHeartRadio Talk Network. Here's your host, Jim Richards. Craigslist is still around, right? Who's not? Who's using Craigslist, though, that wouldn't use Marketplace? Are there a lot of people that... Because, uh, first of all, newspapers don't have want ads anymore, right? I'm guessing. Then there's Craigslist and Kijiji. Kijiji's like high-class Craigslist, is that right? And then Marketplace kind of trumped all of that, which is the one ads you find on Facebook. And apparently Canadians are leery about using it. I would say that's the association of Canadians that have never used it are leery about using it. And I've asked a million people if they've ever had something go sideways, and I haven't heard one reply. Have you had something go sideways selling on Marketplace? Are you leery about meeting up with someone? We'll take your calls coming up in 15 minutes time here on the iHeartTalk radio network. Interesting uh, conversation with the people from the Boys and Girls Clubs of Canada and the amount of kids that are bullied online. Like when you were a kid or when I was a kid, you go home, close the door and hide from the bullies or they could hide from me. Depends on how you look at that. But now you're constantly, if you're online, you can always be bombarded. We talked to our friend Daniel Chai. Daniel is a technology professor, but also practices and knows about the law and where the two intersect. We'll get to that in a second. But first, I wanted to ask him about whether or not he's leery about meeting people and selling things on Marketplace. I avoid it. Uh, at all costs. I don't think it's worth uh, any type of potential savings to go to uh, a meetup like that. Uh, there's just so much craziness out there uh, that uh, I don't think it's even worth it. Really? Uh, based on just the scary headlines in the news? Because I've done it plenty of times and I have not had one bad encounter. In fact, the only thing that I don't like about it is if a woman is own, all alone in her house, I will like knock on the door and then I'll st- stand on the lowest step on the ground and not like on the porch. I'll give them space. I don't like going into people's condos. I like to have them come down to the lobby. It's not that I think everybody is going to uh, wrongfully accuse people, but I just don't want to be put in a position as a man where I might be intimidating to somebody, especially a woman. Well, I think personal security is a huge factor here, that if you are a single woman uh, meeting somebody, you don't know who's going to show up. And uh, that does put you potentially at risk. But I think the other thing, too, that people don't note 
is a lot of the items might potentially be stolen. Yep. They may be uh, not the real thing. And unlike dealing with a department store, you can return the item. You don't like it. It doesn't work out. You can exchange it. You can return it. You have none of that security when you're dealing with uh, some random person on the Internet. Daniel is a professor who specializes in tech and where it intercedes with the law. So when you take a look at this, the Harmful Online Act bill, what do you think? I think it's all for show. I think that the enforceability of this law is very weak. Uh, we know that a lot of this harmful content isn't just... It isn't simply made in Canada stuff that you can just find the people, haul them into a, a, a police uh, station and, and arrest them. Uh, this is content that's being generated from everywhere. Uh, people can access this on the dark web, which is completely unregulated and shared among other websites. So I think uh, that's one thing that's problematic is it seems to be more symbolic than actually an effective law. Aren't the penalties enough that would make them want to almost like shut down their business? Well, I mean, that's one of the things we have to be wary of is we saw the huge pushback by Meta Facebook, which to this day still refuses to show news content because it doesn't want to play ball with the Canadian government on that. They could very well, along with Google and other uh, social media platforms like uh, Twitter X, say we don't want to enforce uh, this legislation because it's extremely expensive and it's too ambiguous. We don't know uh, what exactly you want us to do. And so uh, there is a cost associated with uh, implementing this law, uh, in addition to the penalties, fines, if they don't remove the content within 24 hours. But ultimately, uh, this is not going to be a simple uh, fix where big tech says, yeah, we'll do it for you, no problem, boss. And so what happens then? Well, what's going to happen is this is going to go to committee. This is going to be out in the public. You're going to have discussions between MPs, the minister, uh, calling big tech to uh, parliament and trying to get them to cooperate. And you're going to have some probably some behind the scenes lobbying uh, by big tech to ensure that whatever regulations come out of this are not too costly for them because we know they're driven by the almighty buck. And uh, they're going to try to, to, to come up with regulations here that hopefully are enforceable and, and make the law effective. But at this stage, it's pretty broad ranging. And I, I personally don't see how it's going to be effective. When Mark Zuckerberg was in front of a congressional hearing, he seemed to say the right words. But what they're asking for was basically something that would kill the way their social media model works. Well, that's what he's afraid of. I mean, it's the fact of the matter is extremist content, uh, this type of uh, content gets people hooked on their platforms. And the more time you spend on the platform surfing, the more money they make from advertising revenue. This is part and parcel of, the, of how they do their business. Now, this is the thing about Mark Zuckerberg. He's afraid of the U.S. government and he'll show up to Congress there. But every single time we've asked Zuckerberg and his top lieutenants to come to Canada, yep. they refuse. They don't see us as a threat. And there's no way that we can say, I guess, I guess it's hard for the government to say, well, until you can comply, we're banning you on uh, the Internet up, up here in Canada. Well, that's the thing. I mean, the, the, the law has so many ambiguities and loopholes and, and uncertainty to it. They're talking about putting in a, uh, an oversight committee, a safety commission. Uh, we don't know how that's going to work. That commission will have 
power to uh, order the removal of content within 24 hours. We don't know what that type of censorship means. Uh, so there's a whole bunch of uh, open question marks here on how this is actually going to work. Do you have any concern about how overstepping that might be? I know that was apparently part of the delay that people thought it was too broad and it would take down well-intended free speech or questionable free speech that still, whether we like it or not, is still free. Well, you would like to think that these platforms have enough uh, security protocols in place, safety protocols to ensure that child porn and extremist hate content gets removed. But we know from studies that there is still holes in their filters. Their artificial intelligence is not foolproof, and we know that it's not totally effective. And and so the hope that a external oversight committee on top of that is going to be able to capture all the other content that's... uh, uh, negative and harmful, I don't think it's going to do the job. Can you ask them to t- tweak their algorithm as it uh, applies to kids? Well, this is the thing. they The big tech looks at their algorithm as their secret sauce. This is the uh, 11 herbs and spices of how they do their business. They're not going to reveal that information. So uh, that would require a uh, legislative order of some type And at that point, we might even see a situation where they just say, we're going to leave the country because they don't want you to touch their algorithms. Daniel, thank you very much for your time. You're welcome. Interesting stuff about the online harms bill. I think we've moved off of, hey, helping out kids who are bullied online, who have deep fake nudes of them online. That's Justin Trudeau's woke legislation. Hopefully people care about kids more than scoring political points. When we come back, does anybody have any stories of how it went sideways when you tried to buy something off of Marketplace or Craigslist or Kijiji? It's coming up. This is News Talk Tonight with Jim Richards on the iHeartRadio Talk Network. That is right, folks. Uh, this is the iHeartRadio. We got, no, we, had, we don't have to back things up yet. Uh, sometimes in the middle of the show, we do have to back things up. But um, I was afraid of this is what I was looking at. Somebody said to me off the air, you got to have a little more confidence. Uh, that topic is going to flatline. I don't think that this topic is going to flatline. Phone lines are open right now to ensure that we don't have a topic flatline right across the country at one 1010 And the topic is that apparently most of us are anxious about meeting up after we've bought something online. Are you? I get, listen, I remember the first time I was standing in front of my house waiting for an Uber before anybody knew about Uber. And my neighbors were like, oh, nice to know you. Can I have your lawnmower? Uh, Do you have a will? Because I was like, I was trying to explain Uber to them where I was like, yeah, this strange person I've never met is going to pull up in a car and I'm going to get in the car and they're going to take me where I want to go. And they're like, yeah, that's funny. They're going to take you where you want to go. You're dead is what you are. And I was like, no, no, no. And now, of course, it makes it sound like I was the first person to use Uber. They just hadn't heard about it and had been around for about 900 years. But maybe the first time you get an Uber, you're like a stranger. You're getting in a stranger's car. Well, I don't know. What is a taxi driver to you? At least they're registered. Well, these people are registered through Uber. Are you anxious about that? Like Daniel Chai, and he's an expert. But if you've never done it, 
I mean, like, due respect to him, like, you can't be an expert in it. And I have done it. I won't say that there haven't been any problems. Because I think that there should be like an exit interview on every purchase that you uh, make. And I know they ask you to rate the seller, but I've got like, I've sold some things. I've got a one out of five rating. And I'm like, what did I do? And that's why I would love to be able to interview the people who've bought stuff off me. me. I think the only thing I did was somebody showed up at my porch after we agreed on a price, and then they started to haggle for something that was perfectly good. In fact, in way better condition than they they could have ever hoped for. But they wanted to haggle on my front porch. And I'm like, no, sorry, price is the price. And then I got a one-star review from them. But I'm opening the phones right now at 1-855-633-1010. 1-855-633-1010. And we're asking you if you've had any, just any, actually any experiences. They could be sideways experiences. Or they could be really good experiences. I don't think I've had any. I mean, I am a little leery of going and picking things up. Like uh, if you're buying something off of somebody who's a single woman or they're at home during the day all by themselves, not my favorite thing to go into somebody's condo realizing that they feel uncomfortable and you feel uncomfortable too and you want to put somebody at ease. So I'm always like, could you bring it down to the lobby? Could we agree? I don't, I don't have a problem going to meetup spaces if that makes people feel more comfortable. And when I go to somebody's house, I always like will knock on the door, ring the doorbell, and then I'll go back down the porch stairs and wait in front of their house for them to come so they can see like I'm a normal person and we'll start a conversation from there. I get how people could be a little leery, but I think for the most part, um, most of the, I, I mean, I've asked and asked and asked around here if anybody's had a story that's gone sideways, like a bad experience. I truthfully have had a bad experience, but it's not on, well, it is on their end. And me being an idiot. Uh, the picture of what I wanted to buy, it looked like it was out of the catalog. It wasn't, hey, here's the used. They were claiming it was used patio furniture. It clearly was the picture from the catalog. And they said, hey, we're getting lots of interest. And I was like, okay, can I pay half up front? And so I paid half half up front. And guess what? Yeah, uh, it didn't exist. I went to the house. They'd never heard. uh, I was like, does this person live here? Because it's a Facebook profile. You can click on the Facebook profile. Here's a clue. If their uh, Facebook profile is two days old, then uh, might be fake. So 1-855-633-1010, 1-855-633-1010. Have you had any situations go sideways? I finally got my, uh, my half of my, the money that I paid up front. I got it back by telling the guy, hey, my brother-in-law, he is a uh, cop who specializes in cybercrime, and we're on to you. And he never uh, cashed the money. 1-855-633-1010. Those are the phone lines. Uh, Tony, do you have a story? No? I once sold a pair of headphones, but they were battery powered. 
beats, the original beats, the corded ones that you plug into uh, a board or whatever. And the guy came by and he's, we made a really good deal. He, he, he had no problem with the price that I, I had listed them at. Came over, cash, no problem. Uh, about 45 minutes later, he writes me and says, hey, hey, they don't work. I'm like, no, I, I know they work. They, they work. I'm sure of it. No, they don't work. I, I tried. I plugged them in and into the, into the headphone jack and they don't work. And I'm like, well, they're battery powered beats. You got to turn them on. He's you like, got to what? turn them on. Yeah. And he had forgotten that there was a little switch on them that uh, you turned them on. So, and that guy I, was me. That yeah. sounds like something it, it, that I would do. It worked out in the end. Yeah. But uh, yeah. But nothing scary, nothing uh, too freaky. No, I've I've never really had any major issues. I mean, I've I've had a guitar delivered to my place. It's it's always a little weird when you're like, okay, should I send this person my money with, through e-transfer and things like that? But as long as you you're careful about it and you do it in public, first of all, never never I would never do it in you know, I'd never invite anybody in an alleyway. Yeah, no, yeah, the, lo- the lobby of my about? building. Yeah, yeah, there, that's what you should do. Yeah. Back alley, part of town you don't know. Yeah. All right, 1-855-633-1010. Come on, Lucille, don't die on me now. It's don't topic, die. Don't, don't die, die on me now. Don't you die on me, man. 1-855-633-1010. Maybe they were right. Maybe the story, maybe the topic is going to flatline. Do you have a story where um, things went sideways for a marketplace or an online pickup. Uh, Noah, do you have a story? Uh, yeah, nothing went sideways, though, but just a little bit of an interesting experience. So I was looking, I was on the market for a saxophone um, and not your, your cheap one that you can find uh, yeah. at like Costco or something. So, you know, looking to spend a significant amount of money. And uh, I ended up finding about three that I really liked, um, but I ended up having to go to each individual seller's house um, Bring my own mouthpiece, my own reeds, play yeah. their saxophone for maybe 20 minutes, and then... I like that story. And then uh, make a decision. But you, you discuss this with them up front, that, hey, do you mind if I try it? And yep. thus they're going to have the kind of... Like, I guess you could do it in their front patio or outside or something like that, but most of them don't have a problem inviting you in? No, it was actually really interesting. One couple was up in uh, north, north of Caledon, and yep. so I went up there to visit them and spent a little bit of time and played their saxophone. And then another couple I met was in downtown Toronto, just a little uh, t- above store apartment and and played it for a little bit and are you any good I, I went to school for it so yeah. good enough to do that okay maybe we should uh, maybe you we have to have you in one day and do all of the saxophoning in and out of commercial let's say hi to Mike Mike go ahead have you ever had an experience yeah yeah hi uh, thanks for having me uh, I had an experience this which is the reason why now I use those uh, those uh, police stations parking spaces or safe spaces oh. in the city I had the uh, used to, a long time where I was selling the Xbox video games for my old ones. Yeah. I was I went I went uh, I was supposed to meet uh, go to this guy's house in the East End. Uh, it was uh, late at night in the evening. Uh, it was warm, but uh, when I rang the doorbell, uh, he opened the door. But just I was excited to just get rid of him. But something just like you know, you trust your gut instinct. Yeah. He asked me he asked me to come into the house. I said no, it's okay. Uh, then the, then I, then I go. He goes, well, I want to check the games. I go, we can see them here. They're, they're fine in good condition outside. And then the next question he asked me was, uh, "Does anybody know you came? Uh, you came here?" Oh boy! And I was like, "Yeah." And then I was like, "Listen, I go. You know what? I don't want to solve them to you. I just just went in my car." Does know anybody that want... know that you came here? Yeah. And then I go, I knew that if I went to that guy's house, 
I don't know what would I, I knew something bad was going to happen. I go, this is, this is weird. This is weird. And I just took off. I, I got in my car and took off. That's Great it. call. <laughs> Great yeah, stuff. Yeah. I mean, I'm glad you're still alive, Mike. It's the iHeartTalk Radio Network. News Talk Tonight is on with your host, Jim Richards, on the iHeartRadio Talk Network. This is the iHeartTalk Radio Network. I am Jim Richards. We're going to have a conversation with the people behind the sale of, you'll remember the story, we interviewed the guys about three weeks ago uh, somewhere in the Saskatchewan area. I do believe it was Regina. Somebody's father used to sell hockey cards and apparently would just buy just tons of them. They forgot about a box that they had from 1979. And apparently that would have a whole bunch of Wayne Gretzky rookie cards. So they didn't know what they had. They thought they had a couple of million dollars. But how much did it sell for? You'll find out coming up in about 15 minutes here on the iHeartTalk radio network. Lori Williams has been very gracious with her time to join us from time to town. She is a political scientist professor at Mount Royal University, and she is uh, with us right now. Uh, professor, thank you very much for your time. Hi, Jim. Just call me Lori. Okay, Lori. Uh, let me do that again. Do you want me to start all over again or just uh, as we move forward? Sure. Lori. Whatever, whatever you want is fine. Uh, could you tell people about this character? Uh, I, I call him a character. Maybe that's a a polite way to uh, put Mr. Parker and refer to him, but he uh, is the head of a group that that sways or perhaps swings a lot of power in Alberta. No question. So David Parker is, is the leader of a very well-organized group that now uh, occupies the majority of the seats on the United Conservative Party board that was responsible for a number of very controversial resolutions at the last UCP AGM and um, looks as though he might be behind Daniel Smith's change of position on transgender rights. Um, Someone, Daniel Smith was historically a libertarian who said she stood very strongly for the rights of of transgender folks and this most recent policy uh, imposes more restrictions than in in Saskatchewan or uh, or in New Brunswick, at present, like much further than 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 they went, and yep. some think that must be linked to David Parker. I mean, he has some very odd views about um, you know women should be committed or do their duty to their province and their country by having lots of children and um, buys into a lot of conspiracy theory stuff and has has engaged in very vicious attacks against other political figures before now. It's almost to a point where I'm afraid to give him any limelight and to talk about him, but I think that ship has sailed because he does have power. Would he not be the reason that Jason Kenney is not the leader of that party in that province any longer? Well, he's certainly one of the organizers behind that opposition to Jason Kenney. Um, he's threatened uh, or has a sort of an implied threat uh, hanging over Daniel Smith's head, and it seems that, that she is worried about the power of this particular group, uh, particularly with the leadership review coming up. And uh, and so she is taking steps to to prevent the kind of, uh, of uh, review or organized opposition to her that we saw against Jason Kenney. So for her to be in a position where she still has to worry about this guy maybe being more powerful than her, 
uh, it is uh, it's it's an interesting situation. So I, one would almost say that David Parker and this organization are responsible for her being the premier. So uh, mm-hmm. is she powerful enough to turn her back on Take Back Alberta? Uh, that remains an open question. Uh, I, I, I must say, I think that David Parker has shot himself in the foot with this particular uh, attack. You, you may or may not have heard, but Danielle Smith is saying that she has suggested um, that he needs help and that he doesn't. She doesn't want to stand with people who engage in that kind of online okay. behavior. We should. I, I think as much as this is kind of the stuff that I don't necessarily want to uh, bring to the fore, but I do think that it's very important. And if she has turned his, her back on him, then that's probably good news, some freedom for her. And who knows? Maybe some of the people who back him and take back Alberta will take a look at what he's done here and say, "Yeah, enough of that guy." And that is to say that David Parker and this organization, Take It Back Alberta, he's uh, essentially taken a shot at Pierre Polyev and Pierre Polyev's wife, suggesting mm-hmm. that Pierre Polyev's wife uh, should be concerned because Pierre Polyev's campaign is being run by Jenny Byrne, who is a very accomplished uh, backroom strategist, was high up with Stephen Harper. But these two dated, Pierre Polyev and Jenny Byrne dated, and David Parker is suggesting that that is disrespectful to Pierre Polyev's current wife. Is that a fair summary of what has taken place here? That's exactly right. So he says that she should be insulted by this and that he's not basically being a good husband because of this uh, this behavior. And he's turned his sights on, on others. Some are speculating this has to do with a couple of positions that he lost, um, one that was uh, allegedly connected to Jenny Burns, um, uh, and and the other, uh, he's been critical of other people that might have been connected. So, I mean, it looks like it might be grudge-related. Um, um, now, that, I think, might sort of clip his wings a little bit. He might be a bit more restrained in future, especially given the very strong reaction from both the, the federal Conservative Party and the United Conservative Party leader here in... Um, in Calgary. Yeah. But, but again, Daniel Smith is saying that she doesn't stand with this sort of behavior and saying he needs to get help. But she hasn't opposed him saying things, very, very vicious attacks on other people. She hasn't stood in any way against those sorts of things. And if he continues to wield power, I mean, he's promised that he's going to try to take over school boards and municipal councils. Um, it, some people are suggesting that Daniel Smith is considering introducing parties into the uh, municipal governance legislation yeah. here. So, uh, bec- and she wants to do that both to increase conservative influence on on those um, those municipal um, councils, but that this is actually an initiative associated with, with David Parker. And he, in fact, is, is appearing at an event in March talking about um, getting parties in municipal councils uh, and, and the event features amongst the speakers, David Parker. So... It's difficult to know at this stage whether his misstep is going to cost him in a bigger way or whether he has enough support amongst amongst his followers here. He he um, has been very good at organizing, if people don't know. That's, he's basically, through grassroots organizing, taken over the party and thus has such an influence on it. But 
I, I guess that everybody's like, oh, yeah, we like David Parker. David Parker is our, our guy. And then he takes his aim at Pierre Polyev. And it seems like that might be a step too far. But what is interesting to me is that he clearly has been brazen enough and led to believe that he's got this support from the grassroots take back Alberta, that he could have said something like that and gotten away with it almost as if he has a bigger swinging, you know what, than Pierre Polyev does in the province of Alberta. Excuse my metaphor. Well, yeah, and it's clearly meant to, to hurt Pierre Polyev. Um, uh, well, Jenny Byrne primarily, but also Pierre Polyev uh, and, and potentially Pierre Polyev's wife. Um, the, the, the one hesitation I have is that I have heard from conservative insiders repeatedly that David Parker is done, that his influence is no more that he doesn't have money. Uh, I mean, this, this organization yeah. he did to bring a bunch of people to the, to the UCP annual general, general meeting, um, people said that it, it had bankrupted him and that he was going to have no power or influence in future. Well, that hasn't turned out. Well, I wonder, case. like, that sounds like people talking about Trump after January the 6th, and that mm-hmm. didn't happen. Yeah, I mean, I'm not... I, that, that's a good observation. Obviously, uh, David Parker is isn't the kind of personality that that Donald Trump is but he is very well organized and and he does have uh, he does resonate amongst that that far right social conservative and or libertarian yep. uh wing of the of the of the conservative uh party and um and because he's so well organized because he's threatening to to install or remove people in power he is exercising almost the kind of, of power that we see in primaries in the United States. Lori, great discussion. Thank you very much for your time. I really appreciate it. Oh, it's always a pleasure, Jim. Lori Williams, Associate Professor of Political Science at Mount Royal University in Alberta. In a moment, how much, just a, like a, a box of um, hockey cards from 1979. Oh yeah, we forgot about this. Oh yeah, next thing you know, it's cashed in for $3.7 million. That story is next. Welcome back to News Talk Tonight with Jim Richards on the iHeartRadio Talk Network. Coming up in about 15 minutes' time, we are so lucky to have some uh, great people who are huge freaks about so many different topics. Tuesday, we do a draft, and basically that is we pick a topic. We got two experts in that genre or in that topic, and they pick their favorites within the topic. The topic is pop music era so i'm guessing that's what the last 50 years in music best songwriters and it's very broad i understand that we had one person that we thought was going to join us tonight who said the category is too broad we've tried to narrow it a little bit and that's what we'll do in 15 minutes time here on the iheart talk radio network all right You remember about three weeks ago, we told you a story of a man who I guess found, you know what, I'm going to just ruin this story. So I think we'll bring in the person who has been there from the beginning. And um, that person, do I have this person's name? I don't even, I don't have it on my lineup. Do, 
Jason Simmons joins us right now. Jason, what is your organization that you're with? Sorry about that. Oh, no problem. Thanks for having me. Um, I am the consignment director here at Heritage Auctions. We're the largest collectibles auction house in the uh, country. That is U.S. <laughs> and how did you hear about this box of hockey cards? And again, I'm calling it a box, but I think the last time we talked, I was saying, I guess a box is what would be on the counter of the convenience store where you'd grab right. the hockey cards or the baseball cards. What do you call the bigger box? Because it looks like a moving box, but in the industry, what is the term, term used so we, as? So we call this a case. Okay. So um, what this is, is this is the case that they would have shipped to grocery stores or to the local card shop or or uh you know corner store and inside this case are 16 boxes of 1979 opg hockey cards and what makes this set particularly special is it features the rookie card the first card of wayne gretzky you know the great one so this it's a, it was a really special find that was the only one that we had ever seen it was the only one that was known at the time um it still is the only one that's known and to put it into perspective these boxes where there's 16 of them one yep. of them has sold um a couple of years ago and it sold for two hundred and ten thousand dollars, and that's us is that i mean this is clearly unusual this is hockey this is unusual because of Wayne Gretzky and all that kind of stuff. But have you seen this in other sports recently where I don't know if it's an equivalent to find a Tom Brady rookie card or uh, is there anything that's been close to this? So the closest thing that that has happened was um, a few years back, there was a large distributor, uh, Fritch Cards, that that uh, was doing some cleaning out of their warehouse, and they discovered a 1986 Fleer basketball case, which is Michael Jordan's rookie card. So that case had sold for $1.8 million, which was a record at the time. That record has been nearly doubled with the sale of this OPG hockey case for $3.7 million US. Crazy. So... Let's talk a little bit about the family or who they are. Mm -hmm. I guess they want their name to be kept out of this. Uh, but who, who who are they? They were card collectors or wh who exactly are they? Yeah. So uh, this was a uh, family out of Regina. Um, and what had happened was the father was an avid card collector. He was um, purchasing cards back in the 60s and 70s into the early 80s. And what he would do is he would buy these boxes or in this case, cases of cards with the intention of opening it. So this 1979 case was literally a box of cards that he just didn't get around to opening at the time. He would have spent around $150 for this case from a distributor. And what he would have done is he would have opened it and he would have put together complete sets of cards so that he could trade or keep some for himself or potentially sell. But um, he had amassed such a large collection of material. And at the time, these items weren't really particularly valuable. Um, they were, you know, available in every every corner store. And so they really didn't think too much about it over the years. And it wasn't until the son started clearing out his uh, house where the, it was when they found it. So this is um, they had no idea that this yep. was there. This is found money for them. It's uh, truly something special. Pretty cr pretty crazy. So they knew who they would call, and they called you guys. 
Mm-hmm. And then it, things happened pretty quickly since the story made the news and it has been sold already because it's only been, what, three weeks? Yeah. So our auction was open for three weeks. Uh, we actually took possession of this case back in November. So that was when um, the son had reached out to me and said, hey, Jason, I think I found something good. And it was uh, this hockey case. And so what we had did, what we have done was uh, we sent, um, we actually sent a, uh, a security guard up to Regina so that he, we could take possession of the case and get it to an armed truck service to get it down to Dallas. Because when you're dealing with something this valuable, you know, there's insurance involved and yeah. there's a lot of logistics involved in getting this physically to our auction house. What is it like getting a armed uh, Brinks truck across the border or did you actually <laughs> fly it to Chicago and then drive it down? You know what? It's funny. What we had to do is we had to fly it to Toronto. Toronto had to then drive it down to Dallas. Um, so the company that we had been using was based out of Toronto and we had asked them to go pick this up and they said, no, no, Regina is too remote for us. So we had um, sent one of our guys up to bring this case, to take possession of it, to bring it to Toronto for us. Um, it was uh, it was actually kind of a, a bit of a fire drill for us to get this yeah. out and safely to us. And what would you say your experience over the last three weeks with the online um, bids has been in terms of you've been doing this for a while? Have you ever seen anything like this? Oh, it's incredible. You know, this this story had picked up in Canada um, pretty quickly. And um, to the the amount of um, individuals that have shown interest in this case is really shocking to us. Um, We knew it would be something newsworthy to the hobby to this to the card collecting community but to see it take hold in such a broader scope is really something special for us um and ultimately the the winning bidder was someone in canada so this case is actually going to be coming home to canada for this foreseeable future oh man uh, happy ending right there i gotta tell you is it fair to say that it went a million dollars over what you thought it would go for? Because I think the last time we talked, you thought it would go for, uh, you know, close to three million. It went for yeah. close to four million. Yeah, I was really I was really hoping for right around that three million mark. That would be right right around two hundred thousand dollars per box, which I think would have been a fair price for it. So. Once we got past that $3 million mark, I think everyone, me, uh, my colleagues, and, and certainly the consigners were all over the overjoyed with, uh, um, we were surprised to okay. see it. Are we allowed to ask what his cut is, what the family's cut of the $3.7 million is? <laughs> no, we are keeping we are keeping that between us and the consigner. Is it, but, more, um, is it more than $10.50? Yeah, see, it's, it is safe to say that the is it consigner over, will is be it over three million. It is safe to say this consigner will be making a hefty profit on this hundred fifty dollars. People who do an interview about this story get a cut. Ha, I wish. All right, <laughs> I wish more than you. I bet. Yeah. Uh, listen, Jason, yeah. uh, very good. Uh, love the story. It's a, a real beauty, and I'm glad it's coming back to Canada. Jason Simmons is with Heritage Sports Consignment.